This is Office Detox. Personal stories reflected in this podcast are true, but details have been changed to protect the companies and people involved. Okay, so these people were pissed. They were sold training with the promise that they would get a good return. Instead, many handed over their life savings for something that didn't really pan out. One thing they got sold on was a marketing lead machine. But in truth, there is no lead machine. Marketing is basically the art of finding what works in your target market. Then you build a system out of it. It can take time and things that work in one area don't in another. Ultimately, I'm an optimist about it and I keep on trying, but it's not a machine. It's not a guaranteed process. But this is what was sold by the sales guys who worked in a different office in exchange for the biggest amount of cash that the trainees had ever spent. So there I was, awkward conversation after awkward conversation with trainees from around the world. I was tasked with creating something for them that seemed like a lead machine when there is no such thing. I had to take the heat when they were rightfully pissed. And man, it hurt. Sometimes a trainee who had lost his or her life savings would leave negative reviews online, which I was taught to stuff down and employed writers to do so. When prospective trainees asked to speak to ones who had completed the courses, they were sent to specific people only. It was a dark art. A lot of image management was done to reduce the appearance of failure. So much for our age of transparency. But according to my boss, there was always someone to blame. Blaming people was somewhat of a hobby for him, or even a sport. He was never happier than he was accusing someone of being lazy or a couch potato or not willing to put in the work. I want to be real. At the time, I thought this was refreshingly honest. It was truth-telling and not fake-nice. But it was just another brand of fake and manipulation. More on this later. He was always saying that these people did not apply the training and simply sat on their couches. Instead, at one point, one of his rants about people sitting on their couches got recorded and sent out to the entire list of trainees. You would think that that would have led to a rebellion, but maybe they were just used to it. Lazy, not smart, wants things to be easy. But all this making fun of others put a spotlight on others and hid the fact that my boss was the one that was not extraordinary. The bullying and put-downs that he was directing at others could have pointed to him, since he was the one who did not do much work and always took the easy way. So there's much more to this story. Office Detox is a podcast about business from someone completely passionate and enamored with it. In business, you can make something out of nothing. In business, you find inventions that push forward progress. But if we let the thieves and con men take over, then we're not going to have a chance. Maybe I'm too late, but I'm going to try. My name is Stefania Sigerson Forbes, and I'm your host of Office Detox. This week's episode is about narcissists. Narcissism relates to unrealistic feelings of grandiosity, an inflated, often unstable and insecure sense of self-worth and a selfish sense of entitlement coupled with little consideration for others. As the term and the legend of narcissists suggests, narcissistic individuals are so self-indulged that they may end up drowning in their own self-love. 
This makes it harder for them to focus on others. Narcissists are often charming, and charisma is often the socially desirable side of narcissism. Sylvia Berlusconi, Jim Jones, and Steve Jobs personified this. According to the book Dangerous Personalities by former FBI profiler Joe Navarro, narcissistic personalities only care about themselves, their needs, and their priorities. While you and I appreciate attention, the narcissist craves it and manipulates other people and situations to get it. While you and I work hard to be successful, the narcissistic personality connives to succeed and may cheat, lie, embellish the truth, or scheme to get ahead, uncaring of how others are affected. Today, we're going to talk about Travis Kalanick, the former CEO of UberX. Uber, the company that Kalanick was once CEO of, now operates in more than 600 cities worldwide and recently had an IPO valuating the company at $69 billion. So let's talk about Travis Kalanick, narcissism at work. Travis grew up in Northridge, California, a suburb outside of Los Angeles. When he was a kid, he wanted to be a spy. He got good grades and was athletic growing up, running track and playing football. But he was bullied by older students and later vowed that he would never be pushed around by anyone again. Travis would eventually follow in the entrepreneurial footsteps of his mom, who was in retail. He went door to door as a teen selling knives for Cutco. He then started his first business at 18, an SAT prep called New Way Academy. His parents, Donald and Bonnie, would later be Rider Zero when Uber launched in Los Angeles. He went to UCLA to study computer engineering and dropped out in 1998 to work on Scour, a peer-to-peer search engine with his classmates. Kalanick collected unemployment while working full-time for Scour, which was run by angel funding obtained by one of the co-founder's friends and family. After being sued by several entertainment companies to the tune of $250 billion, Scour filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Travis made a comeback with Red Swoosh, a networking software company which also pushed legal boundaries. By 2007, Kalanick sold Red Swoosh to Akamai for $23 million. And just like that, Travis became a millionaire at the age of 31. He spent his first years as a millionaire traveling around the world. He went to Spain, Japan, Greece, Iceland, Greenland, Hawaii, France, Australia, Portugal, Cape Verde, and Senegal. While attending the LeWeb Technology Conference in late 2008, Kalanick first heard of the idea for Uber. He envisioned it as a lower-cost way to bring black service cars at the touch of a button. His dislike for taxis stemmed from a bad experience in a cab years earlier when he got into an argument with a taxi driver and jumped out of the moving car. Garrett Camp, Oscar Salazar, and Conrad Reeland were the first founders of Uber. Kalanick served as a mega advisor. They saw Sidecar and Lyft. They said, if there is a legal loophole, we are going to pursue that market. This move defined the company. I'm going to win no matter what. So they got into a very competitive market and there is a downward pricing model. Drivers were commodified. And this environment with chaos is where narcissists will thrive. They see others not as real human beings, but as tools for them to get what they want. By 2010, Travis was the CEO. 
Uber Cab launched in June 2010 in San Francisco. It was a huge hit there, though investors weren't initially knocking down Uber's door to invest. By the summer of 2010, Uber raised money from investors. 1.25 million seed round was raised. After San Francisco, Uber rapidly expanded its services to other U.S. cities. In May 2011, Uber launched in New York City, now one of its biggest markets. In fact, 168,000 Uber rides are hailed every day in New York City. By December 2011, Uber went international and launched in Paris, its first non-U.S. city. So this podcast is about narcissism and how a narcissistic leader can create a narcissistic companies hurting employees and the public. So let's look at some of this stuff in particular. Let's talk about slogging. In 2013, UberX, you would ask if this was a tech company or a street fighter company. Slogging is where drivers would ride in a competitive's car and say, hey, work for Uber. At the time, Uber said that it was just industry practice. But this is the level of one-on-one street fighting that we're talking about. Let's talk about surf cam and hell. Here, they would scrape competitor API and abuse it so they would know where a lift car is. These programs are very secretive. Sally Yu, the litigator who worked with Kalanick, was asked to be innovative. Uber can be creative in ways that others won't. How can she make that possible? If they hadn't pushed the boundaries, they would never have launched in New York or London. And it is true that we needed street fighting to get better service than cabs. And knowing the cab industry, which is not exactly a perfect white lamb itself, it takes street fighting, like someone from Kalanick, to beat them. Let's talk about Greyball. Originally a way to not pick people up who had violated the terms and conditions before, this tool was used to not pick up law enforcement or regulators, It was a way to subvert the system. Apparently, these guys tended to have certain cheap phones and they tended to be picked up in certain areas. And the Uber drivers were shown through the software not to go there. Let's talk about privacy. In December 2014, a woman was raped by her driver in Delhi, India. In June, Bloomberg News and the tech blog Recode reported that Eric Alexander, Uber's president of Asia Pacific had obtained and carried around the confidential medical record from the horrific incident. Alexander, Kalanick, and the other executives had discussed among themselves a preposterous theory that the rape may have been a setup by Ola, Uber's primary rival in India. Through a spokesperson, Alexander declined to comment. Grotesquely wrong. Travis, even after the conviction, talked publicly about this very private information and his theories. These revelations resonated loudly inside Uber and outside. It was like a bomb went off inside the company, said one senior executive. After the story was published, many employees stayed home. There was a feeling that they had gone too far. Then there's Joe Sullivan. He was a heavy hitter. The dark arts. He was inside the corporate spy agency. All ethically dubious programs were under him in the strategic services group, where they would surveil competitors and much more. The question is, to what extent did Kalanick and the board know about these secretive activities? 
By 2013, the company was growing by leaps and bounds. Sally Yu cautioned Travis. At an all-hands meeting, he actually said, we don't need to follow the laws that are not being enforced. If they are not going after the competitors, we can do it. Two years of legal innovation, they were on a collision course. At the same time, Travis, along with Uber co-founder Garrett Camps and Ryan Graves, made Forbes' list of the world's billionaires for the first time. That was in 2015. Travis was worth $5.8 billion. One person said, until 2017, you could go into Uber on any day and half the t-shirts would be Uber t-shirts. They disappeared overnight. People didn't want to wear Uber stuff anymore. Let's talk about Travis's fight with a driver. I'm sure that you've seen the videos. It looks casual with Travis dancing between two women. A woman asked to put the air on a bit. They talk about birthdays. They talk about the Bay Bridge. They pull up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. When the driver, Kamal, and Travis are alone, Kamal says, you had the business model in your hands. I lost $97,000 thanks to you. I'm bankrupt. Driver rates started at $20. Now it's $2.75 for the same thing. Travis responds with, some people don't want to take responsibility for their own shit. They blame everything in their life on everybody else. If this was a one-on-one equal fight, fair enough, but it wasn't. The power difference between the two is huge, and Travis was being very un-CEO-like. After it came out, Travis arranged a meeting with the driver. It went on for more than an hour, with Travis redebating Kamal over Uber's pricing policies. Somehow by the end, Travis suggested he give the driver Uber stock, according to people familiar with the discussion. Wayne Ting, who ran Uber's San Francisco business, was in the room with Kalanick and Kamal. In an email later circulated among the employees, Ting said he was deeply disturbed by what he saw. He told people he called his own father to seek moral counsel. He worried that paying the driver off with Uber's own shares was financially irresponsible. Would Uber compensate all of its drivers who felt mistreated? To Ting, the incident reeked of lack of self-control. In the email he wrote to Kalanick, he said, quote, Travis no longer had the moral standing to lead Uber. After Uber's lawyers insisted that the company wouldn't pay Kamal to clean up Travis's personal scandal, Travis agreed to pay Kamal $200,000 out of his own pocket, according to a person familiar with the matter. The meeting ended on a positive note, and Travis appreciated Mr. Kamal's openness and forgiveness, a spokesman for Kalanick said in a statement. In Silicon Valley, founders can be narcissists. Founders enjoy an exalted status in Silicon Valley. Apple Inc. once fired Steve Jobs. Then he came back and led it to historic greatness. The dismissal of a successful founder has been considered a cardinal sin ever since. Benchmark is very Silicon Valley. You're either 100% behind the CEO or against them. There's no in-between. In 2016, Uber announced publicly that they're changing how they do fares they started paying drivers independently. They could charge customers more without paying drivers more. Pricing discrimination is actually against the law. Now, consider the story of Susan Fowler. Susan started at Uber as a site reliability engineer in November of 2015. 
Her boss contacted her by text. Open relationship, he said. And his girlfriend was having an easy time finding new partners, but he wasn't. He was trying to stay out of trouble at work, he said, but he couldn't help getting into trouble because he was looking for women to have sex with. It was clear that he was trying to get me to have sex with him. And it was so clearly out of line that I immediately took screenshots of these chat messages and reported him to HR. After going to HR, they told her that it was his first offense. But later, she was talking to other women in the office who she got to know, and they had the same stories. They were about the same managers. A new sexual harassment accusation came up, and HR said the same annoying thing. It was the first offense. She booked a meeting with HR, and again and again, it was a first offense, and no other woman had anything to say. Quote, It was such a blatant lie that there's nothing I could do. There is nothing any of them could do. They all gave up on Uber HR and managers after that. Eventually, this guy did leave the company. Susan Fowler described a Game of Thrones-like atmosphere among managers. Quote, It seemed like every manager was fighting their peers and attempting to undermine their direct supervisor so they could have that direct supervisor's job. No attempts were made by these managers to hide what they were doing. They boasted about it in meetings, told their direct reports about it and the like. I remember countless meetings with my managers and skip levels where I would sit there not saying anything and the manager would be boasting about finding favor with their skip level. I should expect them to have their manager's job within a quarter or two. I also remember a very disturbing team meeting in which one of the directors boasted to our team that she had withheld business critical information from one of the executives so he could curry favor with one of the other executives. And he told this to us with a smile on his face. It worked. When Susan joined Uber, the organization that she was part of was 25% women. But by the time she was trying to transfer to another engineering organization, the number had dropped down to less than 3%. Women were transferring out of the organization and those who couldn't transfer were either quitting or preparing to quit. The sad thing about this story is that Susan just wanted to be part of something cool. She says, when I look back at the time I spent at Uber, I am overcome with thankfulness that I had the opportunity to work with some of the best engineers I found. Not everyone is meant to be a CEO. For those who aren't, who are part of the professional class, why can't there be a safe environment? Consider Peter Sims. Peter is a well-known investor. He's done well, but he's still a private citizen. In a scene out of the book, Brave New World, he was spied on by guests at a party. Here's a quote on a post from Peter. A funny thing happened. One night, a couple years ago, I was in an Uber SUV in New York City headed to Penn Station to catch the train to Washington, D.C. when I got a text message from a tech socialite of sorts. She's someone I hardly know, asking me if I was in an Uber car on 33rd and 5th or something like that. I replied that I was, indeed, thinking she must be in an adjacent car. Looking around, she continued to text with updates about my car's whereabouts. So much so that I asked the driver if others could see my Uber location profile. No, he replied, that's not possible. At that point, it all started to feel weird. Until finally she revealed that she was in Chicago, where in New York City, certain known people, whatever that means, were currently riding in Uber cabs. 
After learning this, I expressed my outrage to her that the company would use my information and identity to promote its services without my permission. She told me to calm down and that it was all cool. And it was a great event and as if I should be honored to have been the one that was chosen. That's nonsense. So what Uber had done was use something called the God view on him at a get together showing everyone there. This is a way that employees used to spy on their exes, ex-boyfriends, ex-girlfriends, even Beyonce's. It was easy to get access. One person after a job interview says they had access for the rest of the day. Again, when you're dealing with a narcissist, nobody matters except themselves. In the biggest mistake yet, in the summer of 2016, there was Auto. Alphabet, or Google's company, sued them in a mega lawsuit, which eventually gave them a 0.34 equity stake in Uber. Anthony Lebendowski stole files from Google, or Waymo. Waymo had shown that Lewandowski downloaded 14,000 files, that's about 10 gigabyte of data, from Google just before he left the company and was meeting with Uber about his own driverless vehicle company, Auto. Waymo was saying that Uber was hungry for Lewandowski's laser knowledge and Google's secrets. Meeting notes show that Uber's former driverless car program director claiming Lewandowski could save Uber $20 million per month. And they showed Lewandowski emptying trash around his computer when he is supposed to be handing everything over around him. So don't mess with Google or Alphabet. The resignation. Uber being Uber, nothing went as, as scripted. The New York Times ran a detailed story about the resignation. Infuriating Kalanick. What he believed was going to be a graceful departure now looked like the ouster that it actually was by the group Benchmark. Two venture capitalists, Matt Kaur and Peter Fenton of Benchmark, which was one of Uber's biggest shareholders, presented Mr. Kalanick with a list of demands, including his resignation before the end of the day. The letter was from five of Uber's major investors, including Benchmark and the mutual fund giant Fidelity Investments. Somehow amid the dysfunction, Uber hired Dara Shahi. He came from Expedia, who impressed the board with a thoughtful PowerPoint presentation that included a slide that read, there can only be one CEO at a time. This man was all that Kalanick wasn't or couldn't be, humble, a good listener, and a diplomat. It was a pointed reversal of Kalanick's mantra. He would say, we don't have a PR problem. We have a us problem. We have behaved poorly. He was a professional CEO, and he seemed like an adult. New support, good press, get the governance under control. One chair, one vote, vote independent voters. So there were five federal probes. There is the Waymo lawsuit from Alphabet and a request of billions of dollars from Google. But Travis, with the Uber IPO, likely made billions, though he left the floor before tra trading. The company is still unprofitable. They lost $1.8 billion in tw 2018. Interestingly, the IPO was below expectations. They thought it was going to be worth $120 billion, but it ended up at $69 billion. It was known as the stock market debut that lost more in dollar terms than any other American initial public offering since 1975. 
it was $45 per share. It is actually considered by the people in the business as a train wreck. What about Joe Sullivan, the master of whispers? He was fired in 2017, and he now works for a security company, Cloudflare. And Sally Yu, the litigator, she grew her team to 290 people by the time she left, and she got a spectacular severance deal worth tens of millions of dollars. So, as with many of the stories, the wrongdoers do not get punished, not in a real way that actually hurts. And that is the horrible story of Travis Kalanick. Footnote, do you have to be crazy to survive? This one is tough because he did achieve something amazing. A lot of us have benefited from this force of nature and lack of care, but there are so many broken pieces left behind. I will leave this up to the college students to debate, but it is worth remembering. My interest is in regular people trying to have regular jobs and a regular life. So let's talk about that. About narcissists. When you think of a narcissist, think of Cinderella's stepsister. They are people who see few flaws in themselves and view anyone who doesn't value them as highly as they value themselves as nobody to be denigrated and tormented. While Cinderella gets a happy ending with her prince, for the rest of us, there is no fairy godmother to save us from these bullies. Here are some traits, and maybe you can close your eyes, and if you're thinking of someone who may be a narcissist in your life, you can listen to this list and see if it's familiar. Egocentrism. They'll arrive late to meetings, parties, or family events. They may storm in and make a dramatic entrance, getting everyone's attention. They have no hesitation in letting you know that they're the smartest person in the room. Looking good is vital in every sense. It is more important than anything else. They present themselves as being very accomplished, as a business person or outside of that. But when you look closely, they've actually accomplished very little. This could be the end of the story for Uber in terms of the real viability of the ride-sharing business or in his habit of subverting the law to win. When things don't go right, they blame everyone but themselves. They could be incompetent, or just not that great. We all have those corners in us, but you'll never hear it from them. Society, the coworkers, or the world is against them. This was like my former boss and the trainees. When others don't treat narcissists as a special person that they deem themselves to be, the reaction is infantile rage. This goes from sulking, whining, to even violence. Think about the conflict with the driver. They can berate and blame with impunity, hold grudges and be vengeful. That is their nature. They overvalue themselves and undervalue others. They tend to see everyone else as either marginal or inferior. Think of Susan, the engineer. They will make searing comments about how stupid or incompetent somebody is. Like my boss always undermining the trainees again. The more you talk to them, the more you realize that they do not care about you. They don't ask about how your day went, for example. They have no conscience and they will exploit others emotionally, financially, and sometimes physically. Sounds familiar to me. Because they feel entitled, narcissistic personalities may feel that they don't have to work as hard as others. They think that they can take shortcuts and get what they want and they think that the rules don't apply to them. Some create a fiction around themselves to feed the need for this recognition. They may say that their business is super successful, but when you look into it, it's actually failing. They lack clear boundaries. 
They push the envelope with people, laws, and social norms. As social puppeteers, commanding, directing, manipulating, and using people to meet their desires. They seek positions where they can control others. That is why you can see them in law, medicine, or high-level positions so that they can use their rank or high status to take care of themselves. How you feel after. After you have dealt with a narcissist, you'll feel troubled, unfulfilled, and tormented. They are subtly cruel. They will intentionally fail to validate something important to you. They wear on you. You may feel physically sick around them. Who they look like they are and who they actually are don't match. The word that narcissists really love or the phrase that they really love is forgive and forget. It's like their favorite thing in the world. They will encourage it from you often. In one way or another, you'll be forbidden to flourish. You will be made to feel small, insignificant, and not worthy. As a final note, one thing I have noticed is that these people tend to be religious. I don't know if it is just hiding in plain sight or what, but I've noticed that in this relatively secular world, they're staying close to at least looking spiritual. In my personal experience, it did wear on my confidence. It did create a warped view of the trainees, many of whom were actually nice and they were trying their best to apply everything that they learned. I find that after this process, I, I was harder on people than I needed to be. Somehow, the connection that I thought I had with my former boss was completely fake. It was not about truth-telling at all. It was just a manipulation, and in reality, he didn't care about me or anyone else at all. One thing that I realized is that all of the put-downs that he was doing with other people, he was doing with me as well. I was completely not immune to it. Now I'm glad to be out, and I'm in the process of making a comeback. The dark triad. Narcissism is part of the dark triad. That is part of the way it takes to succeed in business using dark pieces of the personality. These include narcissism, psychopathy, which was covered in a previous episode, and Machiavellianism, which will be covered in the future. Sadly, in a recent study on representative German businesses, narcissism was positively linked to salary, while Machiavellianism was positively linked to leadership level and career satisfaction. These associations were still significant after controlling for the effects of demographics, job tenure, organization size, and hours worked. Previously, an impressive 15-year longitudinal study found that individuals with psychopathic and narcissistic characteristics gravitated toward the top of the organizational hierarchy and had higher levels of financial attainment what to do. Like the episode in Predators, if you encounter a narcissist, the best thing that you can do is get out if you can. If you can't, keep a log, like I mentioned before. So I want to watch out for bullying because in an environment where there's a lot of narcissists, that, that is going to lead to bullying. Imagine all those people not thinking of others as human beings in a group and ugh for the ones who are the only real human left in the room. Unfortunately, narcissists are very unlikely to seek help because they don't see a problem with their behavior. So don't wait for a change. If you're listening and you are a person who's in charge of putting people in positions, please consider this. Consider more than being brash and bold. Consider the long haul and all the broken pieces you may have to pick up later. Another thing that you can do is learn from the experience. After all these years of being around narcissists, I learned 
something about how they work. For example, a while back, I was working for a client who I saw was a narcissist. He was not paying his employees, was ignoring serious customer complaints, and continued to look for funding from investors at the same time. I moved away from the situation myself, but another contractor was not getting paid and let me know. I reached out to the narcissist and said, I have a very important investor looking at you, since I did some have someone looking for companies at a regular basis. And just like that, he paid my friend. And I made the intro. Lesson, when you know that the very important thing is huge for them, you have leverage. So keywords like very important, impressed, you'll go far with this one. It all works. Now these little methods aren't for everyone, but it works if this is your style. So business community, can't we do better than this? Can we have an environment where work is about work? where it is about skill and sharing ideas and trying as flawed humans, as the very flawed humans that we all are, to succeed? As so many others with mental illness seek help in record numbers for depression, anxiety, personality disorders, and more, how can we stay protected from those who won't, like the narcissist? HR is not gonna bail us out of this one. And this is what I wanna to continue to explore with this podcast. I hope that you can continue to join me. So thank you so much, friends, for listening to this episode. If you'd like to support this body of work, you can subscribe to my Patreon feed at patreon.com forward slash office detox. For just $2 an episode or $5 an episode, you can get some bonus content and you can make sure that this work keeps going. So there's the episode done. Thanks a lot for listening.